0: Chapter 10 A Group of Famous Women This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Kim Lamb A Group of Famous Women by Edith Horton Lucy Stone, 1818-1893 to Woman is a creation between men and the angels. Honore de Balzac. In the town of Westbrookfield, Massachusetts, in 1818, lived a farmer named Francis Stone and his wife, a gentle and beautiful woman, whose life was spent in devotion to her husband and in aiding him in his work on the farm. Mrs. Stone worked continuously from early morning until late at night often milking eight cows after the necessary housework was done. The family consisted of seven children. When on August 18th, the 8th was born, and Mrs. Stone was told that the new baby was a girl, she said, Oh dear, I am sorry it is a girl. A woman's life is so hard. It seemed as if this little girl, who was called Lucy, must have understood her mother's words, for as she grew up, she showed very clearly that she intended to try to make life easier for all women. Her childhood was spent in doing useful work about the house and on the farm. She cooked, swept, dusted, made butter and soap. She drove the cows, planted seeds, weeded the garden, in short, was never idle. But all the time she worked in this way, Lucy was thinking deeply and comparing her life with that of her brother at college. She pondered deeply over questions like the following. Why are not girls permitted to earn their living like their brothers? Why is it that mother works so hard and father has all the money? Why are boys given the great benefits of a college education and girls refused it? She could think of no satisfactory answers. At last gathering up her courage, she asked her father to assist her to go to college like her brother's. Mr. Stone was both astonished and angry. He told Lucy that it was enough for her to learn how to read and cipher and write, as her mother did, but Lucy persisted in her determination to gain an education. She earned a little money by picking berries and gathering chestnuts, and with it she bought some books. Her mother could not help her, for though she worked very hard, she had not a penny to bless herself with. Her husband took all that came in through their joint labors and spent it as he thought best. When Lucy had learned enough to fit her for teaching, she got a position in a district school at a salary of $1 per week. A little later, she was earning $16 a month, and when her brother, who received $30 a month for teaching, became ill, Lucy took his place, receiving $16 for exactly the same work. The committee said that $16 was enough for a woman. Lucy Stone studied for a while at Mount Hollyoak Seminary under Mary Lyon and also at Wilbraham Academy and later at Oberlin College, Ohio, which was then the only college in the country willing to admit women all the while paying her own tuition fees by means of teaching and doing housework in boarding houses. When the question of slavery came into prominence, Lucy Stone quickly took her position as a friend of the slave. She taught in a school for colored people, which was established at Oberlin, and her first public speech was made in their behalf. Though severely criticized for her public speaking and obliged to bear unpleasant comment because of it, she never swerved from her idea of what she believed to be right. Soon she was engaged by the Anti-Slavery Society, in which William Lloyd Garrison and Wendell Phillips were officers, to lecture for their cause, and while doing so, traveled over the greater part of the United States, speaking both for woman suffrage and for the abolition of slavery. But the rights of woman stood first in the heart of Lucy Stone. As a child, she had seen her mother overruled by a stern husband, who never allowed her an opinion contrary to his will, nor a penny to use without his sanction. It may have been because of this early object lesson that Lucy Stone made up her mind to never marry, or because she thought that she could carry on her work for the advancement of women, better by being entirely free. Nevertheless, she did consent to marry Mr. Henry B. Blackwell, a merchant of Cincinnati, Ohio, who overcame her objections by sharing all her views on suffrage and slavery. And they were married by Reverend Thomas Wentworth Higginson, May 1st, 1855. Before their marriage, Mr. Blackwell and Lucy signed a protest which read, We believe that personal independence and human rights can never be forfeited except for crime, that marriage should be an equal and permanent partnership and so recognized by law. This protest was the beginning of much serious thought about the rights of man and woman as individuals and led the way to improved laws. In most states, today, a married woman may own her own property and may will a part of it away from her husband. If she wishes to, she may live an individual life, also, and control equally with her husband, the education of their children. Lucy Stone retained her maiden name, never adopting that of her husband. Their married life proved to be remarkably happy, one child, a daughter, being born to them. Mrs. Stone helped to organize the American Equal Rights Association, which grew into the American Suffrage Association. William Lloyd Garrison, George William Curtis, Colonel Higginson, Julia Ward Howe, and other prominent people joined in the work with her. She served as president of the New England Suffrage Association and even studied law that she might learn how to correct legal injustice to women. In 1877, Mrs. Stone and Mr. Blackwell went to Colorado to assist in the woman's suffrage movement in that state. Sixteen years later, the constitutional amendment granting the suffrage to women was carried by popular vote, and women were given exactly the same rights as men in exercising the elective franchise. Lucy Stone did not live to see success in Colorado, but she did see school suffrage gained in 22 states and full suffrage in Wyoming. She lived also to see many great colleges admit women. In the summer of 1893, Mrs. Stone was obliged to rest from her labors. A little later, she wrote Mrs. Livermore, her devoted friend and co-worker. I have dropped out, and you will go on without me. Goodbye. If we don't meet again, never mind. We shall meet sometime, somewhere. Be sure of that. She passed away in the presence of her husband and her daughter, Alice, on October 18th. Her gentleness and sweetness of character had made her beloved by all and her great work for the advancement of woman in intellectual, social, and political life will never be forgotten. End of chapter 10